Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to yet another episode of the Going Deep Podcast with Aaron Watson. I'm your host, Aaron Watson. Today's episode is with Melissa Whitmer of the Ultimate Athlete Project. Melissa has an online business where she coaches Ultimate Frisbee athletes, whether they're Summer League Warriors or uh, elite level club or pro players on strength and conditioning tactics to take their game to the next level. Um, What really interested me about our conversation is how Melissa got started into this endeavor and what having this online business has allowed her to do. Um, I took a lot away from this and she's also been very, very helpful with me giving advice and also introducing me to Victor Jimenez, who was the go- the guest in episode 13. So thank you so much, Melissa, for both coming on the show and helping me to be successful. Uh, I think you'll learn a lot from listening to her. And if you end up finding this episode useful and informative or past episodes, if you've been listening for a while, I would really, really appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Also hit the subscribe button, uh, whether you're listening to this on Stitcher or on iTunes or on Podbean. Um, I really appreciate that. That support for the show is what's going to allow this to be sustainable and continue in the future so I can continue to interview the people that you want to hear from. Without further ado, Melissa Whitmer. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Melissa. I, I really appreciate you taking the time here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, Yeah, I'm excited to uh, chat and to learn. Yeah, this is actually the first Skype interview that I've... Well, I'm sorry, the second Skype interview. You actually introduced me to Victor, and that was the first Skype interview I ever did. So thank you for expanding my horizons. It was pretty daunting to try to figure out the... Uh, the re- how to record a Skype conversation and make sure that the audio quality wasn't complete garbage. So thank you for, for forcing me to outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> no problem. So you have a strength and conditioning business that is uh, predominantly or exclusively existing online. Is it completely online or is there any in-person components? Yeah, like 90% of my business is online. Uh, I do occasionally do fitness clinics. I don't pursue those as much as part of my business strategy. I do enjoy doing them, and so if people ask me to do them, uh, I will do them. Um, and I especially enjoy doing those types of things internationally, because, hey, who doesn't like to travel? <laughs> and also, yeah, it just gives me a different way to kind of experience the global ultimate community by doing those fitness clinics. But um, yeah, my main uh, clientele is all online as members of the Ultimate Athlete Project. How did you, starting at the beginning, how did you get interested in strength and conditioning as a career path? Uh, I was never interested in strength and conditioning as a career path. My interest in strength and conditioning was purely selfish. I uh, was studying chemistry at the University of Illinois, and then I sort of had the quarter-life crisis 
and sort of realized I was burnt out regarding the chemistry field. And so <clears throat> I ended up dropping out. Um, oh, well, dropping out. I had got a master's degree. I wasn't a total slacker, um, but I got a master's degree instead of the PhD I was going for um, and didn't really have a backup plan. So, yeah, because I could still take classes at the university for free uh, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, that just seemed like a good deal. I mean, they let me basically be a TA in the chemistry lab. And then as long as I was doing that, I could take classes for free. So I was playing a lot of ultimate. I'd started an ultimate team there, uh, a co-ed team, uh, because I was out of college eligibility. So we were a club team uh, and just fun, spending a lot of time playing and just really enjoying it. And just really, um, you know, in the midst of this quarter to life crisis, sort of getting my sort of sustenance and support from this community, my team. So it was kind of an important part of my life. And then, so in that process, I also wanted to be a better player and captain and coach. Uh, and so I just kind of generally became interested in classes that were in the field of kinesiology. Um, so I studied a lot of like motor skills learning. I studied a lot of strength and conditioning stuff as well. And basically I studied it all in an effort to make myself and my team better. But I had no intention of uh, of turning that into a career because it just didn't didn't even occur to me that that would be really a viable thing. Gotcha. So so it just kind of started by building team workout plans, your own personal workout plan, and where did the idea to start your own business come from? Was it reading? Was it a mentor? Was it where was the motivation or inspiration for that come from? Sure. So I guess just mini life story after after the after I left the University of Illinois uh, I also then had a degree in kinesiology um, and then uh, went out in the real world for a little while and taught community college I really enjoyed that I enjoyed teaching that um, but then that too became uh, somewhat boring after a while just because there was no really room for career advancement and so it was clear there's going to be limitations into uh, how far I could sort of go in that field and um, also a kind of uh, missed like the tight-knit sort of ultimate community I had as part of that team and I think that sort of um, like at that time I was kind of out of shape actually <laughs> and then I was uh, I was playing leagues and stuff but I wasn't really playing competitively I wasn't <clears throat> as involved in the ultimate community as I had been and I realized that um, that I was never happier than when I was really involved in the community so I sort of started to get back into playing that sort of led to me really becoming serious again about uh, my physical fitness because I had fallen so far uh, out of shape. I, I guess it wasn't terrible, but uh, compared to, uh, you know, the athlete that I wanted to be, it, it was. So, um, so yeah, again, selfish reasons. <laughs> I just wanted to uh, get back into it. And, and it led me to really studying, well, restudying just kind of what modern practices were in strength and conditioning and really thinking deeply about what actual professional athletes do as part of their training. Because even what we were taught in school is more about uh, kind of general fitness, keeping healthy, and not about athletic performance. And there is a difference. So my focus was on athletic performance for myself. Um, I was successful in that endeavor. And um, so it was those programs, actually, it was the basis of the programs that I started writing for others. First is kind of one-on-one online collaborations with Google Docs. And then um, in the Ultimate Athlete Project, just really systematizing that, making it um, simple, making it, I mean, not simple, not overly simple, making it simple enough, but not overly simple, making it still rigorous enough to get results. I mean, that was a, ch- a real challenge because, um, you know, the people that joined the Ultimate Athlete Project 
range all over the place. I've got 17-year-olds. I've got 48-year-olds. I've got people that just want to play summer league better, and I have people that are on, uh, you know, the best teams in the world. So <laughs> there's a wide range of people there. But um, I'm, I'm good at systems, and I'm good at creating basic systems that people can adapt for themselves. Um, so that's sort of what the Ultimate Athlete Project is and continues to evolve into. It seems like the the two big challenges with it being predominantly online would be clarity and specificity. So clarity meaning this is what the actual exercise or workout is. Here's how you do it. You're not necessarily right there correcting in proper form or technique. And then specificity to be able to, you know, the summer league warrior versus the top flight high-level club players' needs and how hard they can push themselves being able to adapt and and provide them with the type of advice and training that they need. Yeah, and it it is really a challenge um, and one that I continue to work on. Uh, You know, I was, you know, a little bit worried at first about doing this kind of thing, um, wondering about if it was okay for me to give people these things to do without being there to show them, you know, how to do it. But I I really kind of realized that, you know, that's actually how I learned. And and that's how these athletes are already learning. They're learning from uh, either other people they're lifting with, or even worse, they're not lifting at all. Or they're learning from magazines or from YouTube. Like that is how people already are engaging in their own uh, fitness regimens. So, um, so it became a matter of, well, you know, if I can give them something better that's going to give them much better results and trust that they are uh, humans with common sense that, you know, won't do something that hurts them, that will seek guidance when they need it, that will see a physical therapist when, you know, it's required and and kind of um, look out for themselves, you know, I I can trust my customers to do that. And that thus far has has proved to be the case. When you, you mentioned that you're very good at systems and systematizing your process, did you use other resources or talk to other people who ran online businesses for advice for how to structure everything? Or how did you, I'm sure it was a very gradual process from setting up Google Docs to you know, maybe a, a bare bones website. Or can you kind of take me through the process of how the actual Ultimate Athlete Project evolved once you decided that that's what you were working on? Sure. Uh, the main thing was to decide whether it was something that was going to be worth doing and, well, profitable. I mean, because I, when I decided to do this, I had absolutely no idea how to set up a membership website. And, you know, so one of the advantages of online business is that it's very easy to sort of test ideas before you invest a lot of time and money. Uh, because this problem was not a simple problem of, yeah, how to provide um, how to provide a basic programming that's going to be effective and easy to use and yeah, it wasn't a simple test, so I wanted to make sure it was going to be be worth it. Um, so when I started, I didn't know how to do any of this stuff, and I basically wrote a blog post, and I was like, hey, you know, this is a thing I'm thinking of building. I want to create this online community where you can have strength and conditioning programs. It will cost something. I'm not sure what. If you're interested in this, sign up for this email list, and and I'll tell you stuff as the prog- as the program progresses. And within a weekend, I had over 100 people um, saying, like, yes, they were interested in the idea- this idea. And that, to me, just, like, basically I got those 100 emails with just, like, a Facebook post and, and a blog post. And, and basically that, that was telling me that there was uh, at least enough interest to uh, explore the idea. So 
so yeah, then I had two problems. One was the technological problem of how do I build a membership website that is going to do this complex thing of giving people these monthly programs and uh, it was just that was a tough problem to wrap my head around. And then the other problem was, well, how do I write programs and like deliver this content in a way that's easy to navigate and um, easy to absorb and still comprehensive enough that people get everything they need to execute on the programs. And that's something that, you know, we'll, we'll always be working on. But, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm going down a rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> the question was, how did I get the, how did I make the website? <laughs> Where are we going? Yes. What, what, I, what I'm imagining, and this is my own ignorance, is that it started like, like kind of with a minimum viable product, a very like bare bones, like just got something up there that was, you know, the very first beta stage of the Ultimate Athlete Project. And then what to, I'm sure today's version of the Ultimate Athlete Project is more robust, more detailed, has overcome multiple evolutions to get to where it is today is that is that fair that's a really good question and and, um i you know i think in truth i could have had a far more minimum viable product than i did um and in fact (laughs) the the truth is like when i created the ultimate athlete product the first version (laughs) i mean when i look back on it i mean it was so much work i mean there for every month okay so basically there's like a year's worth of programming in this website more than that and each program has like there's going to be a PDF for each possible day of the week. There's And then there's, like, video um, demonstrations of all the exercises. There's also, um, you know, a few notes about how to do each exercise. There's just a lot of stuff. So uh, in some ways, I think I tested this idea um, sort of by gauging interest, and and I built the product sort of ahead of my members in the first year, kind of a month at a time. But really, it, it was the complete deal. You know, I could you could I could have I guess set up like a more bare bones version of the website and maybe had Google Docs or maybe just made it not as pretty, but I think by the time I had gauged interest, I knew what I wanted it to be. I knew that I wanted it. It needed to last a year, which is like as long as I expected people to be in the programs for at least that long. And so I needed a robust solution right from the start. Um, I could have done it differently. I could have tried some more minimal viable products. And it could have been more bare bones. But instead, I think I had a pretty good idea that I was going to get enough signups to make it sustainable. And so I pretty much created the whole thing the first year. I definitely made modifications based on feedback from my members, making things more simple, making sure that the equipment people are using is what people have access to. And it, But it's, it's a lot of work to revise. And so that is kind of what's slowing things down as far as as making improvements as quickly as I would like and being as responsive to my members as I'd like. But I do have, this year we're going to be doing some major revisions. It's just, there's so much material in there. It's just a lot of work. But but yeah, so I guess in this in this instance, I didn't do a minimum viable product. I just did the whole thing. <laughs> Once you got it up and running, uh, were you working another job at all? Or what were you doing while this was being built and kind of getting off the ground? Uh, I was, I think at this time I had kind of two jobs. I was still teaching part-time at uh, community college, teaching chemistry. Uh, And then I got a job um, doing uh, social media stuff for a local um, gym. And, uh, you know, in some ways that was a great fit and a great experience. Um, It was actually really great because this this facility trains um, 
it does train professional athletes or people that want to be professional athletes. And at that point, I had pretty much come to my conclusions about how I felt about strength and conditioning philosophy and practice. So it was kind of cool to actually go in and get those ideas validated by why watching in real time, in real life, like, yes, all these things about how I thought training should be done, like, this is, in fact, what professional athletes are doing, and, of course, I still learned some things there as well, and then most of the exercise demonstrations are actually shot in that facility, uh, and, uh, yeah, so that was great, so, so that's what I was doing, and then, uh, yeah, uh, after that, then, sort of when I went a little bit nomadic, so we can talk about that as well, if you want to. Absolutely. That was actually one of the next questions I had together is that you, so you eventually quit those jobs and were solely focused and working on the Ultimate Athlete Project. Uh, when did that happen and what did that allow you to do? So when I was still working at the at teaching chemistry at a community college, I had already started talks with, um, with the uh, AHOOC, which is the uh, National Governing Organization for Ultimate in Columbia, and uh, they wanted me to come out and do a series of strength and conditioning uh, clinics for various cities around Colombia. Um, and so, you know, that was planned and planned pretty much a year in advance. So kind of when it came time to do that uh, is just sort of when I decided it was time for me to uh, pick up and 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 uh, and stop my other stuff. It was maybe a little bit too early from a financial perspective, but it was um it was kind of the right time. I mean, having two other jobs and trying to focus on the Ultimate Athlete Project was just too crazy. Um, and so I just sort of kind of took the leap. And um, and part of taking that leap was really minimizing all my other expenses, which meant, well, if I'm going to be in Columbia for two months, um, then th- I, there's no point in me paying rent on this apartment, so I'm just going to move. And so, so I packed up all my stuff and, like, put it in my parents' house and then left. Um, and then I spent two months in Colombia, came back for Christmas, um, and then I spent two months, I guess, in Europe, and then came back for a while. And then, um, yeah, so that kind of started the sort of semi-nomadic lifestyle. I, recently I was in North Carolina for about two years, but now I'm picking up and, and kind of going to go again. I think it's always sort of in my blood. Was that a Was that an underlying motivation as you were working on everything? Was I want something that will enable to me enable me to be nomadic or was that just kind of a realization or icing on the cake that once it once it was kind of created you're like oh I can I can do this yeah that's a great question when I started my business I really did not um like I said was talking to you at the beginning like I really didn't know what the business was going to look like and I knew that like but I knew that I wanted to be about ultimate because I the community was important to me I knew that it wanted to be I wanted for it to be some sort of educational component. Like I didn't want to sell clothing or objects just because, I mean, that was my forte. I'm a teacher at heart. Um, so that's all I knew. And in my first vision of what my business would look like, I wanted to do like travel around and do throwing clinics and cause that's what I was best at. So that's what I thought uh, people needed. Right. <laughs> but uh, nobody wanted that. I tried to sell that. Nobody has picked me up as a, uh, has offered me money for that kind of instruction yet, but uh, that might be coming someday. Uh, so, I mean, it just turns out it was just really a lot more accessible to uh, for people, the uh, strength and conditioning stuff, and a lot easier to write about. Um, and it's something that everybody needs, and everybody knows they need. Um, same thing with throwing, but maybe that's just a different kind of coaching, I, or I just haven't cracked how to 
really help people with that in an online format or, or maybe even in person yet. Maybe I just don't know. Um, but so my initial idea for what my business was going to be is completely different than what it is now. Um, in starting the um, Ultimate Athlete Project, I guess before that, my first like online product was an ebook that is still being sold through Skyd Magazine. Uh, still does relatively well. The Ultimate Athlete Handbook, which is a really good introductory kind of thing into sports-specific, ultimate-specific uh, training. So, but in in kind of doing that and sort of getting onto the online business world is sort of where I realized that if I could do online things, it would just be much more scalable and actually just much more doable. I mean, doing clinics, if I do them on the weekends, it just doesn't really work when you're trying to scale a business, especially if you want to actually play ultimate because you're either, if you're, if you're working part-time, that means you're working during the week and then doing clinics on the weekends, which means you're not playing and that wasn't what I wanted. So anyway, this method just turned out to be easier. Now there's this whole culture about like online businesses that's about this whole lifestyle design, this, what is it, uh, like just you know, being mobile, being able to work from anywhere. And, you know, I'm attracted to that, but that definitely was not the initial motivating factor. The initial motivating factor was really just I became uh, enamored with this idea of building a business kind of in the same way that you build – that when you build a team, and when I built my original team in Illinois, like my hope was for that that community that I built, I wanted that to be around for like after I left – uh, and it and it still is there in a lot of ways. There's still, I mean, I'm not there, so I don't know how well it's functioning or how much it resembles what it used to be, but a lot of the same people are still involved. Uh, it runs a lot of the same leagues and has a lot of the same, I think, kind of values that I try to instill in the program when I was there. And I think that's what was interesting to me about business, this idea that you can build this entity that is separate from yourself and that will hopefully produce value uh, when you're not there anymore. And that is a little bit counter to this idea of this lifestyle design, solo entrepreneur, um, just making passive income and globetrotting. Like, that's appealing to me, but that's not exactly what I want to be about, although I'll admit that there's, like, a tension between those two attractive ideas. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's interesting that if you were exclusively doing it for solely your own personal selfish motivations – that it's harder to, at least for, in my opinion, it's harder to use that exclusively as motivation. So when you were grinding away, putting those PDFs together, writing the book, all this different stuff, if it was solely for yourself, I, I, I know for me that personally is enough to burn me out. But it, when you know you're doing it for legacy, for systems and programs that go beyond yourself, I think it's easier to kind of stir up a little more motivation when it's, you know, Thursday night and you just got home from work and you're tired and you kind of want to veg out on the couch. Be like, no, let me, you know, put in an hour of work on this. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I, I think that motivation is a very complex kind of thing. And, you know, I, I can't, I can't be totally idealistic here. I mean, the motivation to, um, you know, be able to make a reasonable income from uh, the sport that I loved, it was very, you know, desirable goal but there was also like an element of at that point sort of some desperation like I was starting I don't know if it's because because I started on this journey of my business but I was just starting to hate like hate going to work in the morning and I don't know if it's because I could see glimmers of like well maybe it doesn't have to be this way maybe I could be doing something else and that probably fed into my dislike of my in my uh, of my current scenario but that kind of 
feeling a desperate need to get out of the situation I hated was also a very big driving factor. And I don't think that I could have, you know, really put forth that kind of grinding work, especially the first year of the Ultimate Athlete Project, without that kind of, (laughs) you're going to make this work or you're going to be stuck in this job or scenario or this style of life that you just can't handle. And so, (laughs) so it was a little bit of both. It wasn't completely altruistic. Gotcha. I appreciate that. So where have you been able to travel? You mentioned Colombia, you mentioned Europe. Where else have you been able to travel because of this business? Well, I guess the first place I went actually was Ireland. And yeah, that was even before the Ultimate Athlete Project came out. Um, And so that was really great. I mean, that was uh, really awesome. Um, Props to those guys for bringing me over for the Siege of Limerick. Um, It was good to be there and just kind of realize that my services were, you know, really wanted and needed. And so that was kind of the gateway to a lot of other things. And then, yeah, obviously Columbia was huge. That was eight cities in, like, six weeks. That was terribly insane. But I learned a lot just being, like, having to do the types of instruction, like, over and over again. I got pretty good at, uh, you know, these kind of weekend-long formats. And let's see, where else? A bunch of places in Europe. And I guess that's pretty much uh, it, as far as I can remember. I mean, I've done at some other clinics and other places, um, uh, I did a clinic for uh, the Duke women's team about um, like working on layout form. That was fun. So I've done some other other things, but but mainly it's been Colombia and Europe so far. My plans next are well, I'm going to the Canary Islands in November, so that should be that should be fun. I'll be doing some clinics there. Sweet. And then uh, yeah, after that I don't know. I think I think pretty much what I want now is to maybe kind of do some extended travel and. I have not yet decided where exactly that will take me, but I have to start putting out inquiries and putting together an itinerary. So with some of your exposure that you've had to other folks in the strength and conditioning industry, uh, you mentioned you worked at that gym that was training aspiring pro athletes. I'm sure you've had other interactions through um, the different events you've, you've done with the Ultimate Athlete Project. What qualities or traits have you found to maybe not be universal, but very, very common among successful folks in the strength and conditioning industry? Uh, do you mean successful athletes or specific, uh, successful... Um, uh, like trainers, coaches, those who, those who are building a strength and conditioning business. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know a, a ton of people in that, in that industry. It was never my desire to have a facility um, just because I just... That's just not the type of business model that appeals to me um, because it is very stationary and very, you know, capital intensive. But but of those that I do know, uh, I can think, yeah, specifically of uh, Alan and Phil Johnson in their um, place in uh, Arizona. Uh, you know, the qualities that they have are just continual learning. I mean, same thing with Ren Caldwell, Tim Morrill, you know, continually staying up to date on the field, continually thinking critically about the uh, stuff that they're reading, uh, stuff that is um, trending. It's kind of like there's kind of two things. Like you want to keep up to date of what's happening in the strength and conditioning field, but you also need to be able to think critically about that. And I think so many strength and conditioning uh, coaches either like fall on one end of the spectrum or the other. They're either say like, oh, well, this is working for, this is how we do things. This is how it works. You know, who cares what everyone else is doing or thinking or what's trendy now? And I think that's a mistake because um, you want to have continual learning. And then the other mistake is to just absorb, you know, 
every single blog post you read from Eric Cressy, whoever, without questioning it and saying that that is um, how you should do things now. Uh, I think you have to have the balance, like um, obviously incorporating new knowledge, but also thinking critically about why and, you know, and having that balance of theoretical knowledge and practical experience, I think, too. One last question, and we'll start to start to wrap things up. With a program like yours that is, that people take to their personal gym, when choosing a gym facility to do your workouts at, what particular should someone be looking for? I think that very much depends on the person. When I was working part-time and didn't have a lot of money, I, I went to Planet Fitness because it was like, I don't know, something crazy, like... 10 bucks, 12 bucks a month, maybe 20, I don't know. But I went to the cheapest place. I went to where I could afford. And that's what some people have to do. Um, But I think no matter where you are, you can, um, well, I guess no matter what kind of gym I've gone to, even when I haven't had a lot of money, the main thing it has to have, it has to have free weights. If it doesn't have free weights, if it's just a gym with machines, like it is not going to do, I won't say it's not going to do you any good, but it's not going to do you any good. (laughs) Like You have to have free weights. Um, And, you know, whether that comes in the form of kettlebells or dumbbells, you can do a lot with those kinds of items, but you just can't do a lot with machines. So you have to have free weights. That's, that's, I think the only thing, um, you know, if, if you can find a place with a squat rack, you know, that is, that's great. That's best. And if you, you know, find a place that you can do uh, deadlifts, you know, that has barbells, that's, that's really what you want. So, you know, some free weights, squat rack, squat rack, and some um, barbells, I think those are kind of what you need. Some bonuses is like if you can get a place that has medicine balls, that's awesome. Uh, if you can get a place that has space, space for you to do things, space for you to, um, you know, do walking lunges or do some other different kinds of activities like crawling or some, you know, complex movement patterns. Space is, is nice. So those are the things that I look for. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a funny story. Uh, the gym that I would use when I was at Pitt was in the basement of the kind of rec center that they had, and it had actually formerly been a shooting range. They had a shooting range in the basement of the building, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but it was all, it was, it was so cramped that there was almost no lane where you could walk and do walking lunges or farmer's walks or, you know, any, anything that required you kind of moving back and forth. Mm-hmm. So we do farmer's walks, we do lunges, and we're like doing them between machines <laughs> and like people like running into you as you're doing it. So that, I definitely appreciate uh, the gym I'm at now has the space to do that. And I definitely, definitely appreciate that for sure. Yeah. And I think it's just important that you get you know, find the space you're going to go to. So the other advantage of, like, the space that I chose, it was cheap. It was also, like, very easily bikeable. I could even walk there in the snowstorm. Uh, so, that you know, that's a big, that's a big factor. Um, if you go to a gym and it's just not one you're comfortable in, you know, and that's going to vary from person to person. For me, I like being in a gym that's not crowded, but I like there to be a certain amount of people in there. So if I don't like going to a gym and, at, like, 10 a.m. if nobody's there. Like, I need some testosterone around me, and that makes me feel, like, comfortable and ready to get work done. But for others, like, some people don't like a lot of people in the in the gym. They don't like the crowded feel or, like, having to fight over machines. Um, so, or just, you know, you have to consider the vibe of the place, too. It has to be a place where you feel, first of all, comfortable, and then as a bonus or maybe a requirement, depending, like a place where you feel, like, when you go in there, it makes you feel like you want to get stuff done. So the last thing that I want to wrap up with is the personal challenge for the audience. 
I'm going to let you take it away and issue a challenge to the listeners. Sure. Uh, I actually had someone email me for advice. Uh, it might have been a year ago, but uh, <laughs> I basically sent her back a stream of consciousness sort of uh, email. But in the end, I basically boiled down into, you know, she was just asking for advice of how to get started, you know, in business or whatever. And in the end, I think I boiled it down to just, you know, you're having trouble getting started, but if you can just give something and ask for something each day for the next 30 days, you know, you'll be surprised at where you end up. And that can be something as simple as, like, giving something can be, you know, answering an, an email, uh, you know, someone has questions about your business, or, or it can be something as simple as, like, sharing a blog post from, you know, someone you consider a competitor, you know, something, something like that. But, you know, give something, give something in a um, way that you don't expect to get something back for it. Um, but then also ask something. And the ask something is uh, one of those things that pushes you outside of your comfort zone. If you, it, it could be asking for advice from a mentor. It can be asking someone to mentor you. It can be asking your customers for feedback. Uh, it can be asking someone for a favor. And that's often very difficult, but you'll be surprised at what people will do for you if you just uh, ask. So give something and ask for something. And I think that can move you a long way in your journey, whatever it is. I like that a lot. Um, that's definitely something that I've been just blown away by personally. I've been, you know, asking these people to do podcasts with me and uh, help me out and share the show on social media. And the amount of support that I've gotten has been uh, at times, at times, completely jaw dropping. So I definitely echo that sentiment. Um, something else that you kind of that was baked into that answer also was um, talking about sharing the blog post of a competitor. So, Ren Caldwell, Tim Morrow, probably the two other big names in the world of Ultimate Frisbee Strength and Conditioning. Uh, and you mentioned that you, you are familiar with them, work with them a little bit. Do you see them as competitors? Do you see them at, do you uh, maybe have a more abundant mentality where, you know, a rising tide is going to lift all our boats? How do you think about um, Ren, and Col Ren and Tim's businesses in relation to your own? Uh, it's a great question and one that is not uncommon. Uh, I think it's funny because uh, for Tim especially, Tim and I are very different uh, personality-wise, <laughs> like very different. But uh, but we work, we've work. we always worked well together whenever we've been in the same room. Um, it's always fun to be with Tim. And uh, when we were both getting started with blogging, um, you know, I wouldn't be where I am without, without Tim. And I'll let Tim speak to the opposite. But it's just you know, we were carving out a space, getting a conversation started about um, strength and conditioning specifically for Ultimate. And, you know, I think in so many people who talk to me about business are afraid of sharing their ideas for fear they'll get stolen or just, you know, yeah, just have this kind of mentality, like it just, just this sort of fear mentality. And, and I won't say it's always easy. Um, you know, there's human nature to be a little bit um, jealous of your territory or just kind of, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, like I said, we, we, um, phrase I used once was like co-opetition. Like we have to, we cooperated in order to create a space where people were talking about strength and conditioning for ultimate and, uh, and just create the realization that there are resources. I mean, I think if I had just been talking about this just by, by myself, like, I don't think anyone would have, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say any, no one would have listened, but it should have taken a lot longer. But when you have two people saying pretty much the same thing, like, hey, you guys need to do this, and this is what it looks like, and you have these two people that have um, 
you know, education in the field that are saying the same thing. It just has a lot more impact. So, um, you know, and same thing with Ren. So, um, you know, I'm very much very glad that they're both uh, in the same field and glad that we still continue to push the conversation forward because we're not done yet. It's still not a given that players are doing strength and conditioning in the off season. And I still get the kinds of questions um, of like people looking for not a quick fix, but like asking questions about what's a good workout for ultimate and things that are just show a kind of short term ism kind of focus. Whereas what we really want is for athletes to think long term, um, just getting athletes to think long term in terms of the off season, first of all, and then long term in terms of what their playing career is going to look like and how, what they can do to, you know, extend it and make it healthy and and then also transition to just having a healthy lifestyle um, as they transition from elite ultimate back to summer league or whatever they want to do. That's great. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show, Melissa. We just went deep with Melissa Whitmer of the Ultimate Athlete Project. Um, if people want to connect with you, what is the best way to go about doing that? Uh, if people want to specifically email me, they can, actually. Um, yeah, they can just email me at melissa at ultiresults.com. That's U-L-T-Y results.com. Uh, any email, emails that go there come directly to me. Uh, I do have a larger email volume than I used to, but I still try to uh, respond as often as I can. Um, another thing I have going on, there are other ways to sort of become aware of all the stuff that's happening is to sign up for 25 Ultimate Tips. That's where I answer a lot of questions, actually, that come in by email. So um, so I'm still adding questions on to the end of that series, which has gone way beyond 25. But if you sign up for 25 Ultimate Tips, that sort of will kind of direct you um, to all the different um, projects going on. And there's tips in there from uh, not just me, but from a wide variety of other players as well. So that's just kind of a good way to sort of... Uh, yeah, get some answers and get a feel for what's going on with all two results. Great. We will link to all of that in the show notes. If you have any issues finding it, check out goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast. And uh, we'll catch everyone next time. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Cool. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, Melissa. I really appreciate it. Yeah, nice one. That was, that was a lot of fun. That was really uh, that was good. Before we jump into the closing outro music, I want to hand the mic back over to Melissa one more time. Um, before we even start recording, I'm sorry, we were recording, but before we actually started the interview, Melissa read me a passage of a book that she's reading that I really liked. I think it was very um, informative, and I want to share that with you. So I'm going to edit that in real quick. And then we'll let the outro play. Can you hold on a second? I got, I just got this book this morning, and I think that if if it comes up, there's this excerpt that I want to read from it. So hold on just a second. I gotta go find it. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So I, I was at this book sale with my mom this morning, and I picked up this book from I think it's 1908, 1902, and it's called the. Uh, Safe methods of business. <laughs> so I just thought it would be kind of interesting. And uh, yeah, it's funny to page page through it. There's a excerpt in here about, um, let me see if I can find it. I was just talking about um, not pretending that you're, oh, here it is. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, 
Oh, yeah, I love this. This is the quote that I love this morning. Uh, it says, <laughs> advice from 1902. Young man, the sooner you get rid of the notion that you are smart, the sooner you will win success. You may be a genius of exceeding brilliancy, but the chances are one to 100,000 that you are not. It is safer to conclude that you are just a plain, ordinary mortal and then set about doing the best you can with the capital nature has given you. You might not soar so high at first, but then when your balloon of youthful conceit collapses, you will not have so far to fall. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny and still applicable today. That's why I kind of picked up the book to see what sort of crazy <laughs> advice would be in there. Once again, that was Melissa Whitmore. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Melissa. And thank you everyone out there for tuning in and listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, or if you just think I'm a half decent guy and you want to spend 35 seconds making my life marginally better, please go to the iTunes library, leave a rating and review. What the rating and review does is it improves the show's rankings in the iTunes search engine algorithm. That's going to slowly but surely move me up the rankings, allow me to get a little more exposure to the random people that just scroll through the podcast page of iTunes. It's also going to potentially get me into the new and noteworthy section during the first eight weeks of the show. We are quickly, quickly, quickly approaching that deadline. So if you've been considering it, if you've thought, hey, yeah, I'm going to do that, but just not right now, just go do it now. It takes 35 seconds. I promise you, it would be so, so meaningful for me if you did that. Please take the time to help out the show. Until next time, I'm Aaron Watson. I will continue to get interesting and articulate guests on the show to tell their story, and I hope you continue to enjoy them.